Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Y'all ready for this? Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York sports talking long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We talked about the Jets last week on the podcast with John Butchko of Gang Green Nation. This week, we're talking about the Giants as they talk their offseason, get ready for the draft with Jerry Foley of the Giants Insider Podcast. We're going to talk to Jerry about the Giant offseason, some of the big decisions they've made, what could be happening here with the Giants in the NFL draft. We'll talk about it with Jerry in just a bit. We're also getting ready for the Oscars this weekend. Oscar ceremony Sunday night means that it's been far too long since I spoke to John Stanko on the podcast, our resident film critic. He's going to be back. We're going to talk about the, the nominees for all the big awards. we get Stanko's picks for who's going to win it all. We'll talk some movies, so that's going to be fun with John at the end of the show. But we'll start out with our opening tip. i share my thoughts on what's going on with the New York Giants offseason right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Here we go. All right, opening tip time here. We're talking the New York Giants, and the Giants enter the offseason in a very, very interesting position because the Giants last year just missed the playoffs. They would have made it if the Eagles actually tried the whole game against Washington in the second half in Week 17. We know about. We don't need to relegate that, but. This team was still just 6-10. and 10. There is massive pressure right now on Dave Gallon to put together a winner. Says this is now his fourth year in New York. What's the Giants record the first three years of the Gallon era? 15-33. and 33. They've won four games, five games, and six games. Not in that order, but they've won that's three game totals. That's not good. The Giants were tight against the cap in the offseason. They had to cut Kevin Zeitler, who was a quality guard for them, to get underneath the barrier for a free agency. They started throwing their money around to try and win right now in what they consider a winnable division. Larry Williams got tagged again, but they gave him a long-term deal, which they kind of had to do considering the capital they gave up to get him. Williams is a career year. How important he was to that giant defense, which was the strength of the team last year. They had to get that contract done. They also had to reduce his cap it because the tag would have paid him $19 million. Now he's down to 11-8 on the cap this year, so that was a good win for the, the Giants and Gettleman there. Those savings went to Kenny Galladay. Got $18 million a year. And Adoree Jackson was cup of the Titans for being injury-prone. He got a huge payday to $13 million a year. Kenny Galladay, I like the move for the Giants. It gives Daniel Jones a true top receiver. I mean, he is a big threat in the red zone. When he was healthy, he produced with Matthew Stafford. And the Giants, now you have Galladay in there being your big 6'5 target. You have Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton as your interior receivers, Evan Engram at tight end. you got a nice supporting cast there for Daniel Jones. And the problem, though, with this is that Kenny Galladay clearly got overpaid based on how the receiving market played out because Allen Robinson got tagged. He not hit the market. Chris Godwin got tagged. and I hit the market. Juju Smith-Schuster sell for one year, $8 million return to the Steelers. The biggest deal out there other than that was Corey Davis' three-year, $37.5 million with the Jets. The Giants doubled that to get Kenny Galladay. Does he help? Yes. Overpaid? Absolutely. Adoree Jackson also got overpaid. 
He has missed 18 games in the past two years. He's a good bookend corner, though. James Bradbury is an excellent number one pick addition last year. Good job by Gelman free agency, but giving him $13 million a year seems like an overpay for a number two corner. They could have drafted one. The Giants know what they're doing these moves, they tell you. They clearly think they can win this division. They have a shot because their defense is strong, and it's gotten stronger with the move to bring in Jackson when we can stay on the field. The entire season, though, comes down to what they get out of Daniel Jones. It's year three for him. He showed some flashes as a rookie, stepped backwards as a sophomore. The Giants have done a lot to help him. He has a strong supporting cast. Saquon Barkley's coming back from injury. That should help. The Giants will probably add another lineman in the draft. And you look at an improvement year two from Andrew, Andrew Thomas. You look at the potential of Matt Pert being a star at right tackle. You look at maybe Nate Solar kicking inside to help out there. There are options here for the Giants to get better, but Daniel Jones has to play better, especially, this is the key to this division round, is that Dak Prescott's going to be back healthy for the Cowboys. Dallas won six games last year. You're either getting to at least nine with Dak healthy. Washington can still have the cable defense. The Eagles still get the Giants' problems, by the way. Even when they're bad, they seem to get the Giants' issues. You're not winning the NFC for six games this year. Have the Giants done enough to go from six to at least nine? We'll see. We will talk more about the Giants with Jerry Foley right after this call from the Giants regular season finale last year, courtesy of Fox Sports' Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. If Diggs continues to play him that way, I would expect to see a shot real soon. Here's a toss to Shepard. Plenty of room, and Sterling Shepard is in for the touchdown. And that is about as good an opening drive as the Giants could have ever hoped for. You can see how there's just no contain on the outside at all for Dallas. They get caught looking into the backfield. There's no one out there in order to turn it back inside and make a play. But uh, that's a really nice job by New York. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast talking about the Giant Aussies. They get ready for the draft. Joining me today on the podcast, one of the minds behind the Giant Insider newspaper and podcast, the editor there, Jerry Foley. Jerry, how are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem. And I'm not the most knowledgeable guy in the Giants. I'm glad to have you on. Help me understand some of the things they've done this offseason. Oh, thanks. For, yeah, I, I mean, you know, um, the offseason is very interesting uh, for, for what the Giants are doing. The uh, free agency uh, and all the guys they brought in. And then, um, you know, having the 11th pick in the draft, it's, uh, it's a lot more exciting, I think, than, than most Giants fans thought it would be. I would certainly agree. I think the thing I want to start with, though, is the one that I didn't understand at the time, and I'm curious what your take yeah. on this, is Dave Gellman. I'm not, I mean, Giant fans, not thrilled with him. He's gone, gone 15-33 and 33 his first three years as the GM. Yeah. Why do you mm-hmm. think he got brought back? Well, I think if they were going to do anything – they they had a chance to to make a change when Shermer was gone, right? I think Joe Judge helped save Dave Gettleman, right? I, I think Joe Judge did such a good job. And let's be honest, Dave Gettleman worked well with Judge. And, and Gettleman, you know, the one thing I could say about Gettleman is he seems to, he doesn't make all his decisions by himself, right? Like Pat Shermer likes certain guys. He brought in James Betcher as his D coordinator, Betcher wanted ex-Cardinals to fit the system, so Gettleman went out and got him, right? So Shermer, the, the, the worst thing Gettleman did was hire Pat Shermer, 
But when he brought Judge on, and Judge brought his brand of, of you know, smash mouth football, and we're going to put guys in the right places, and no square pegs and round holes, uh, he worked well with Judge. And, and you know, the, the results showed last year, especially towards the end of the year. So I'm okay with bringing Dave Gutman back because they found Joe Judge. And, and we'll see what happens with uh, with the draft coming up and to see if Gettleman can kind of continue what he's been able to build a little bit with, with Judge here. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Gettleman had a lot of things to do with Saucy. He started with the Leonard Williams situation. They put the tag on him. They ended up signing the long-term yeah. contract. I think that's a deal they had to make. When you saw the numbers, what was your reaction to the Leonard Williams contract? I was just glad that they, they got off the franchise tag because then they saved $11 million. We knew he was going to he was going to cost uh, twenty plus per year. I expected it. Um, you would have liked to get him for more than three years, maybe. But they got him for three years. He wants one more, probably big contract before it's all said and done. So I expected it in the twenties. It is what it is. I was just glad they got that franchise tag off him. Yeah, I also think Gablin should get a little credit here. I remember when the trade was made. Everybody was ripping yeah. the Giants for oh, they get all these draft picks and Larry Williams did nothing for the Jets and. Took a year in a new system, but they did get a guy out of there, a guy potential out of him. They, the Jets thought they were a game and took him with a sixth pick back in 2015. Yeah, I mean, they gave up, I think, it ended up being a third and a fifth. And, um, you know, the the thing, the, the knock on it was, well, he was going to be a free agent anyway. But because he was a giant, they franchised him. And because he was still a giant, they were able to franchise him again until they worked a long-term deal out. So I think Giant fans have forgiven Dave Gettleman completely for that trade, especially since he had 11 and a half sacks last year and really played up to that six overall um, potential. Yeah, for sure. Having him back helped. The big move, though, I think it got everybody's attention was the Kenny Galladay signing. They gave him $18 million yeah. a year, four-year deal. Yeah. Daniel Jones is his go-to guy. Definitely an mm-hmm. overpay in most circles. What do you think about the Kenny Galladay move? Yeah, they overpaid, but you always do in free agency. I mean, the Giants were desperate for a number one receiver. And they really needed to do it because they have the 11th pick. And if they didn't get Galladay, then they really pigeonhole themselves into selecting a receiver at 11. And now they can either trade down. They, can, they might still take a receiver, but they can trade down or take the best player available because they have Galladay. So if they didn't sign Galladay, they would have been forced to take a Waddle or Devontae Smith probably at 11. But now it opens it up a bit um, to, to take maybe – a, a player in a position uh, that they really need and, and it may, may turn out to be the best player in the draft, like say ever Sean Slater, if he was there, you know, he, he's probably the top guard on the board. He could play tackle. That would be the smart pick for them. But if they don't sign Galladay, it almost forces them to take a wide receiver at that spot. It certainly makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I get like what the argument for the overpay is, but considering what the Giants are trying to do here with Daniel Jones and the fact that, you know, he's probably the best free agency that they brought in since Plotsko Burris, I would say it's probably still a move they had to make. It was. It was definitely a move they had to make. Um, it had to kind of satisfy the, you know, the fan base. Plus, to give Daniel Jones weapons. I mean, Jones, uh, you know, last year he had, uh, the, the line was inconsistent at best and not good at worst. Um, and, you know, you have a tight end that drops everything. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, and that's really it. And that's unacceptable in the NFL today. So they really did have to bring in someone. I didn't know it would be Galladay the whole time. I just didn't think they had the money to do it. But once they freed up um, that franchise tag off of Williams, they had some flexibility. So I was pretty happy with it, even though, yeah, they probably did overpay a bit. Yeah, the other big move they made was the Adoree Jackson sign. They grabbed him after the Titans cut him. I mean, Jackson, when he's not on the field, he can play. Everybody knows this, but he's missed a lot of games the last couple of years. They gave him a lot of money. Yeah. And he's, he's going to be the number two guy opposite James Bradbury. What do you think about Adoree Jackson for the Giants? 
that was a surprise in that I thought they were going to go with Julian Love as their second corner until they did something in this draft, right? So, like I said, once they sign Galladay, then it's like, oh, take the best player available. If that best player available happened to be a Patrick Sertain, if you sell to him, or a Horn, or Caleb Farley, like then they could take a, a corner. And they, and you know what? They still might. I don't think they will, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. But when they got a Dory Jackson, it was like, wow, they're really fortifying the outside now. Now, all of a sudden, Julian Love is a third corner and a very good one at that. Um, and, you know, you have Darnay, Darnay uh, Holmes in the slot, and they're, they're loaded at safety. Like, all of a sudden, that giant secondary, if they're healthy, uh, it could be the strength. I mean, it's the strength of the defense. I thought it was, I thought the safeties were the strength of the defense last year. And you have Xavier McKinney in his second year. Um, it's going to be the um, the catalyst for for defensive success for them this year. I think. Yeah, for sure. And they, those are big needs they fill. Are there any needs that you surprised that Galvin didn't really address in free agency? Offensive line, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know who was that. I mean, there wasn't anyone that jumped out like, oh, they have to go get this guy, but. The fact that they cut Zyler, and I understand why they did, because they saved $12 million, um, but you, you did cut your best lineman, you're arguably your best offensive lineman from last year. Now you have Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux as your guards. You, are, you have to find a guard in this draft, whether it's first, second, third round. Um, and I, I just don't see them going with Will Hernandez at, at right guard or, or Shane Lemieux at right guard for the, uh, you know, with, with uh, Hernandez at left guard. I imagine they have to upgrade that spot. So this, I guess it's hard to be disappointed in, in a free agency that they just had because they filled so many needs or, or supplemented their roster so well. But I guess if I had to pick one, it's that offensive line is still extremely shaky right now going into the draft. So, but look, this is why you have the draft. So they're, they're very likely to add a guard in the first, second or third round, I would imagine. Yeah, one of the things I was surprised about with them is I was surprised they didn't really go after an edge rusher because, I mean, they've been trying to find a pass rusher since JPP got traded to the Buccaneers. So I was surprised they yeah. were a lot of options. Surprised they didn't really dip their toe in the water there. Well, because they signed Galladay to such a big contract and, and Jackson, uh, how much money was left, right? I've been, I've been wanting, and I know that the numbers aren't there, but I, I've, lo- I've been in love with Jadeveon Clowney for years. And when he wants to play, I think he's one of the best defensive ends in the league. He's just got to be motivated. Like, you saw what he can do in Philly when he played for Seattle. That's the kind of player he can be. But they did find Odenabu uh, as an edge rusher. They will likely bring one in. I, I mean, the first three rounds, it's like you would imagine there's going to be guard, some type of receiver, whether it's tight end or wide receiver, and edge rusher. And now they may take an edge rusher. At 11, uh, my, my partner and I, Chris, hope they don't because it's really that 15 to 25, um, those spots that, that those edge rushers should fall in. We hope they trade down if they're going to do that <clears throat> and then get an edge rusher there. So there are a lot to be had in this draft. You could grab one in the first or second round. Um, but it didn't, it didn't stun me. And, and, and they're, they're still high on, on Lorenzo Carter. Uh, they're not giving up on O'Shane Zeminis. So they, they do have a lot of question marks, though. You're right, at, at Edge Rusher. Yeah, let's go to the draft now. You brought the, uh, them up. They're sitting at number 11 around. They're an interesting spot where, I mean, the most mock names of them would seem to be for Sean Slayer, the lineman out of Northwestern. I feel like he'd be a fantastic mm. pick there. Like, you think he would be the best choice on the board? Or some, what else do you think the Giants could do if they stay at 11? If he's there and you're picking, I, I just, you know, Giants, don't overthink this. Just take the kid. You know, he's your, he's your guard for the next, hopefully, eight to ten years. 
maybe even tackle if you want to play him at tackle. I don't care. Move Matt Per. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm just speculating. I would imagine they keep Pert at right tackle, and then Slater would play guard. But don't overthink this. I would take him. I just worry that he's not going to be there. Like the Giants doomsday, not doomsday scenario. Well, I call it doomsday scenario. You have three quarterbacks going in the top top ten. Then you're going to have three wide receivers. That's six. A tight end seven. Now you're picking eight, nine, and ten. Um, you're going to have Penny Sewell going somewhere, and then Slater. Um, and it's like who's going to be left, right? Like, or, or does and then if another quarterback goes, then that's a good thing. But by the time the Giants pick, um, if a corner goes, then it's like, all right, well, what do they have left? You, you lost your two linemen, all three receivers. You know, the uh, the tight end. It's like there is a scenario where the Giants could say we have to either take Micah Parsons or the best edge rusher or trade down. I mean, it's, it's unlikely someone will probably fall to them, but there is a scenario that could play out where the Giants kind of get screwed there a little bit. Yeah, I think if you're a Giant fan, I think the thing you're hoping for is that the more quarterbacks go in the top 10, the better. It pushes more talent down towards the Giants at 11. Right. You want, you want four. The best scenario for the Giants is for four quarterbacks to go. Like, they go one, two, three, and then maybe someone trades up or the Broncos take one, or even the Panthers. Maybe the Panthers take one. Maybe Justin Fields falls to them, and they're like, you know what? We got to pick this guy. We just traded for Darnold, but we have to take Justin Fields. So, yeah, the best scenario for them is four quarterbacks. I mean, a great scenario would be five. But if four quarterbacks fall to them, then the Giants have options. If, they, if there's a guy there, if Slater's there, or, or say Devontae Smith is there, or Waddle, and they still trade down, I'm, I'm okay with that because that means they, you know, they, they probably got a second-round pick in addition to it, uh, and they'll still get a very good player. But if Slater's there, you, know, you cannot fault the Giants for just grabbing him at eleven. Yeah, I can't either. I, I think the thing that fascinates me is like if he's not there, and Dave Gellman has historically just never traded down. He refuses never. to do it, and I'm like, never. this would be the year to do it. Especially if there's like a quarterback sliding down that board. Somebody would probably want to go up there and get him to block the Patriots or potentially something like that to go up there, make it the Bears at 19 and 20 to get desperate. Well, those are the two teams I you keep looking at. That if the, if only three quarterbacks go, and a Justin Fields or Trey Lance is still there. And it's like, or Mac Jones, then it's like, wow, you know, guys, like, make the call. You know, how bad do the Patriots want to move up and, and, and take the, because Cam Newton's not the answer. The Bears don't have, you know, red, the red rifle. He's not the guy. And even if the Giants have to go down to 20, it's like, well, if we drop nine, you're giving us your second. You're giving us, uh, you know, maybe a fourth or a second next year or something. So there's options for them. If that's the other thing, if only a couple quarterbacks go and they're still on the board, the Giants have options there. Yeah, they do, and I think it'll be a very fun draft for them, and I think, like, assuming they draft the line here, I think that's probably the most likely path here. Assuming they do that, do you think they have done enough to help Daniel Jones take a leap forward in year three? He has to. He has to, or they're going to have to move on. Um, they've given him weapons. They're going to improve the line. They're going to probably give him another weapon in the draft. They're going to take some type of receiver in the top four rounds. Uh, maybe it's a, another tight end or a wide out or somebody. I would. I. I have to think they're going to bring somebody in. I look at Fryermuth from uh, Penn State, maybe in the second round if he's there. But they're going to give him something, and they're probably going to give him a guard to protect him. Um, so he's going to have to take that next step because now, if he doesn't, you're going to be in year four next year, and you're going to have a question mark around your quarterback who isn't going to be playing on that rookie deal much longer. So he's got to do it. He's got to show improvement this year. Numbers have to improve, but can't fault him for last year really because. He did get careful with the football, especially later in the season. Cut down on the fumbles, cut down on the interceptions. 
but um, he's, 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 this is a, this is going to be his year to, to show improvement. Yeah, I think it's a big year for him and for that team because, I mean, last year they were literally the Eagles tanking a half away from making the playoffs, and, you know, yeah. Dallas will be better. You know, watching his defense will be good. They still have quite at the quarterback. The Giants have a good defense. Do you think, yeah. as they're built right now, assuming they make some good picks in the draft, can they challenge this division? Oh, yeah, this division's wide open. Eagles are terrible. Dallas is good, but they have no secondary. They can't stop anybody. But I would imagine they take a corner at 10. If they don't and they take Slater, I, I mean, I guess I could see it, but they if they don't take Sertain or Horn or Farley, like, what are they doing? Like, if I'm a Dallas fan, it's like, oh, we're going to build offensive line more? Okay, but we can't stop anybody. So Dallas can't stop anyone. The team you worry about the most is the Washington football team. And if they had a quarterback, uh, somebody asked the other night on our podcast, would you trade with them? And it's like, hell no. I mean, they're a quarterback away from being a annual playoff team because they are absolutely loaded on defense. They have weapons on the outside now. They have a running game. They're, you know, uh, I hope they go with Fitzpatrick this year um, because if they get somehow Mac Jones or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, um, you know, it, it could be a very long next few years, next decade uh, for the rest of the division. I, I think they're that good. Yeah, I would agree with that sentiment. I mean, I'm a Jet fan myself, and it's like the same idea yeah. when people were talking about the Jets to get a haul for two. I'm like, it would not come from the Patriots because the Jets have learned not to help that franchise out. Now, did you think they were going to give up on Darnold? I did. That was my hunch on that because yeah. I figured this the way with the organization set up with the new GM, with the GM is basically coming in four more years, the coach coming in, set and basically set him yeah. up and the quarterback up on the same time day, although that made the most sense. I agree. I thought it was the small move. I didn't, I didn't know what they were going to do, but with a new coach, you get a new quarterback, you get your guy, do it the right way, and um, then you have him on a rookie deal, and then Wilson's got a ton of talent. So I was just curious what you thought. No, I think they're both – both these teams have had good offseason. I think the Giants are obviously the closer ones to getting to the postseason, so I'm going to be very interested to see like what this team looks like when they take the field next year. Yeah. All right, Jerry. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow you guys on social media and keep up with the Giant Insider Podcast newsletter. Absolutely. Uh, you can go to www.thegiantinsider.com to order a paper copy. We still have a paper copy of the Insider. We are monthly in the offseason, and during the season, we're every other week. And then the podcast is on all the major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those. And the Twitter account is at Giant Insider. All right. Make sure you follow all those. Check out the paper version. Jerry, thanks again. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. All right, we are back here on the Just and Suffering podcast for the first time doing an Oscars preview on the podcast. I mean, last year I did the recap with this guy. This time we're back giving you the tease, the rundown for the Oscars. First time I talked to him since January on the podcast. The great John Stanko is here. John, how are you? Mike Phillips, how you doing? How you doing this fine, whatever night we're taping this? It's been a long day. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I have to say, I mean, I've seen John in real life. This is the first time we're doing the podcast because John's a very That's busy true. guy. So. I'm glad it's we got. True. I'm glad we made the time to, get, to bang this out. I feel like I've enriched my life taking this on this exercise. Oh, wow, that is very endearing of you. I yeah. appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you you diving in deep. I know you're watching some movies uh, to prep for this, and 
I tried to do so as well. Luckily, we have till April 25th to see every movie that's in contention. But I think this year's uh, Oscars are going to be an interesting one. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, we are recording for those for the inside baseball people on the podcast here. We're recording on Thursday, April 15th. Happy Jaffe Robinson Day to all who celebrate in baseball world. The Mets mm-hmm. got rained out. And as as John knows, all baseball fans in New York know, the Mets have not played much baseball so far this season. They've had a lot of postponements, a lot of rainouts. So no, it's great. I get to break the news to my coworkers when uh when the <laughs> games are canceled and they just get super angry. So yeah. it's very fun. I take pride in doing that when I see it on Twitter before they do. Yeah, so I'll be proud of you about this because all those games that the Mets got washed out or postponed or whatever, I've used that to watch the movies. So in a span of about six day about six days last week, I watched seven movies. Hey, there you go. You're getting on my level. I like that. Yeah. So I watched six best picture movies and Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. So you could tell which is number seven. (laughs) Can you tell which one belongs and which one doesn't? Yeah, it's pretty easy. Fantastic Beasts and Grindelwald is just awful. (laughs) It was terrible. I told you. I have no desire to watch whatever the new one comes out because it's just going to be a time suck. I mean, I watched it. I'm just sitting there. I'm like confused. They're trying to shove all this plot in there. It was like Batman v Superman on steroids. It's no, it's it's worse than that. I I actually I was entertained by Batman versus Superman and the the original Justice League, even though they weren't good movies. The Fantastic Beast and the Grindelwald was just an abomination of a movie that wasn't even entertaining. It was boring and it was bad, which is a terrible combo. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, let's talk about some better movies, though. Let's talk about the Oscar movies. I mean, the ceremony is on Sunday, April twenty fifth. About two months later than usually is. What do you think about the quality of the film? Because obviously we had issues with the theaters last year. We had no, not a lot of stuff coming out because of COVID. Like, do you feel like the quality of movies based on what you've seen so far is lesser than in previous years? I personally, Mike, I do. I don't think there is a drop dead phenomenal movie this year to pick from, or frankly, a pair of them. For instance, last year, Parasite for me, I was championing hard for that. That movie was near perfect, if not exactly perfect. And to be fair, 1917 deserves some of that same accolade because that movie is also one of the, one of the best main movies I've ever seen. So those are two movies that are that are on a tier one. I don't think anything this year approaches that level, especially of last year. I think there are plenty of high quality movies, but I wouldn't say a ton of excellent movies. I think there are a lot of very, very good performances and some would say excellent performances. But movies as a whole, I do feel in general that this year is just a little bit down. I don't think that has anything to do with movie theaters per se, because frankly, a lot of these movies, these are independent movies that wouldn't have been big in the box office anyway. These are a little bit more of darlings and kind of not, they're not made for making money, if you will. They're made for the prestige. So I don't think the theaters not being open matters. I think this year it was just a little bit of a down year. And it also showed that streaming services are here to stay with the Academy Awards and with awards in general, because this year kind of laid the groundwork for it. And guess what? It's only going to get more and more as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up 1917 and did not win last year. I think 1917 beats this entire field this year if it's eligible. I would agree with you. Yes, I do agree with that statement. With that statement. And Parasite, I mean, would do laps around every single person nominated this year, every single movie. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, like, it's, it's sort of like last year's NBA draft class, where, you know, like, not great class. There are good players to come out of it. I mean, we saw Mello Ball's been a fun player in the NBA, Emmanuel Quickly, Anthony Edwards. But you compare it to a couple of years earlier, you had Zion and John Moran, not the same deal. No, exactly. And again, there are a lot of movies I'd recommend to people. There aren't a lot of movies where I'd say, no, this one's not even worth watching. Nothing like that. But there is nothing like Parasite. I literally told people to stop what they were doing and go and watch it. Same with Portrait of a Lady on Fire wasn't unfortunately nominated last year, even though it should have been. And that was a movie that I told people, you need to stop what you're doing right now and go and watch it. 
there there wasn't one of those movies this year. There was a couple where I would be like, you should definitely make time to see it, but nothing of drop what you're doing, stop watching sports, put on this movie right now, and it's worth the rental fee or whatever it was. So it, it's just a bit of a down year. I'd say very, very solid floor, very enjoyable movies, a lot of B and B plus movies for me in terms of the award winners, but very few in the A range. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. So how many, like, I'm, I'm not kind of just best picture. In terms of movies, I've gotten like multiple Oscar nods. How many have you seen so far? I've seen the majority of them. So if I'm looking at the movies that I need to watch for sure, I need to watch Minari. That's one that I just, I didn't want to pay 20 bucks to rent it because frankly, Mike, I couldn't afford it. So waiting for that, for that rental to come down a little bit, which it has. So I'll be watching that this weekend. I plan to on Sunday. Uh, the Father is another one that got multiple nominations I need to watch. And then the other one uh, is Soul, which a lot of people are saying they're surprised it wasn't nominated for a best picture because it would have been easier for it to, for, to shoot in as the animated film. But Soul is probably the third movie that I need to watch. But I know for sure that I'm watching Minari this weekend, and I'm going to eventually try and find The Father, even though uh, it's a little bit hard to find, I think, a little bit hard to rent. Father is on Apple TV last night. You still have to rent it for 20 bucks. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't have Apple TV, and I, I, blatantly speaking, I can't afford 20 bucks to rent anything. So unless someone's got a screener they can send me, uh, The Father might be the one that kind of goes by the wayside this year. I try and watch everything, but unfortunately, I don't own every streaming service and every rental. Yeah, for me, I've seen six, I will say. Like, I did not get to the two you mentioned, Minari and The Father, I did not get to. I also did not get to Promising Young Ones. I missed the window on HBO Max, so I did not. So that one, I'm going to wait till it goes back on there before I watch it. I'm not going to pay the 20 bucks based on the time I have. Promising Young Woman is, I'd be very curious when you see it, because while it may not have been the best movie I saw this year, there is no denouting, no denying it is the most talked about, uh, diversive, and completely compelling movie it will generate more talking points than any other award movie this year yeah i'm excited to see that one that's probably the one of the three that are left on my list that because i made a list about nine films when this came out i said okay i'm gonna watch these to get ready for the podcast i watched the six so i'm happy with myself for that yeah and you i mean definitely watch promising a woman because i guarantee you the ending the ending is so divisive some people love it some people hate it some people are left completely unsatisfied some people are saying that was the most ingenious thing for that story to do so incredibly intriguing movie you definitely gotta see that one and carrie mulligan's fantastic yeah we'll talk about carrie mulligan a bit we get some of the award categories you have the power rank them right now the ones that you've seen so far like what was the quick give me a quick rundown what the order is in terms of best to ones you did not enjoy as much Mm, uh, all right well in terms of like the movies that that were nominated for me i'm gonna tell you right now the best movie i've seen this oscar season that i think should win best picture as we're gonna go through all the categories i'm sure but my number one is judas and the black messiah uh that movie was powerful also, it somehow combined a very telling story, but it still made it, I don't want to say a blockbuster movie, but it made it an entertainment vessel as well as a character study, which I think is very, very hard to do. And there were two incredible performances in it as well um, from Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Um, I'm surprised Lakeith Stanfield is in the supporting category. That's a that's some fine that's some final work there to work in the fine print with the producers there in the Academy Awards. But Juice and the Black Messiah is number one. Uh, I think Pieces of a Woman is a movie that got overlooked. I think Vanessa Kirby got nominated, but that movie as a whole, Mike, it tore me to shreds. I was in tears multiple times. The opening 15, 20 minutes is the is probably the best movie making I've seen this year is the opening 20 minutes of uh, Pieces of a Woman. That's, that's on Netflix. Uh, Promising Young Woman is probably my number three, just because in terms of talking about it. And then you go down the list. I really enjoyed Probably the next three are like Mari's Black Bottom, Nomad Land, and Sound of Metal are probably the like the four through six, and you can kind of jumble them in that order. 
Yeah, so I, I didn't see the top three on your list. Uh, I've seen of the six I've seen the top five. I basically say is I put I actually love Trial of the Chicago Seven. I have that number one on my list right now. I did okay. enjoy the performances in that movie. I have Sound of Metal is number two. Nomadland is number three. Then I have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom number four on the ones I've seen, and I'm tr- and I would I put One Night in Miami number five. That's one I threw in there at the bottom. I like so I I think. One Night in Miami, and I think Nomadland too, though I'm in the minority with Nomadland for sure. I think they are good movies with fantastic performances. Yeah. So while I would recommend them to everyone, they're not, as a movie, they didn't entertain me as as much as I, as I wanted them to. Um, like Leslie Odom in One Night in Miami is fantastic. Frances McDormand, I mean, just a legend now, frankly, a, a shoo-in for any award she wants whenever she acts in a major motion picture, but... I, I mean, your, your your top five is good. Your your top five is good. I kind of disagree with you on the trial of the, of the Chicago 7, Mike, because I'm curious what you liked about it so much because I saw it, really liked it, but then as time went on, I forgot about it. There were things that I grew to dislike about the movie and the more I thought about it. So I'm curious why you liked it so much. I don't know if it's a bias. That's the first one I saw. It, it hooked me right from the start because, like, for me, the scale is sort of like, if you can keep me engaged, I don't want to look at my phone. I don't want to like do work on the side. I can actually stop on doing and pay attention. Like this one gripped me like the most of all the all the movies. The performances I thought were very good. I feel like I got invested in the characters more. Than I did a lot of the other movies. That's why I I put number one. Okay. Also, I should mention I actually missed a movie in my top five that would for sure be in there, and that's Mank. Yeah, Mank is for sure in my top five. Absolutely, it's honestly probably two or three behind Juice and the Black Messiah. I completely forgot Mank, and I should apologize for that. Yeah, uh, but in, in terms of the trial of Chicago Seven, so like you said, the performances are really good, right? Yeah. Eddie Redmayne, did you think he was good in that movie? I didn't. I didn't say Eddie Redmayne. I said. I said the performances, not just him. Yeah. So that's the <laughs> thing. Eddie Redmayne. The more I thought about it, I thought his performance was really bad, and it really irked me how he got the final like, like punch to end the movie with him reading the names off, and I didn't think he was the one who deserved that moment, and I didn't think his performance hit that moment hard enough. And I, the more I think about that movie, the more it kind of ends on a whimper with that than something that ending with a profound statement. Like I would have loved for maybe uh, Yaha Abdul-Mateen's character to get with the black character who was chained in the courtroom and dragged off and disappeared for the last third of the movie. Like I felt more for him and he was in less of the movie than a lot of the other major characters in the movie. So I, again, this, I think the focus of that movie if I wish we shifted a little bit, and I really wish Eddie Redman's character just wasn't a major major part of it. Yeah, it's certainly a fair point. I think in terms of the categories, go down the list here. Go get some predictions in some of these. So let's go best picture. We have the big the big eight are on the board here. You guys have seen most of them. Who do you think should win, and who will win? Do you think? I think what I well, what I would pick is Judas and the Black Messiah from the movie that I have seen. Now, with that being said, I think I'm going to love Minari when I see it. Everything I've heard about it is that it's a it's a character study drama that it everything I've heard about it is great. So I think I'm really going to love that. But right now, I would go with Judas and the Black Messiah. However, I think what's going to win, and I think it's becoming a little bit more and more certain, is Nomadland. I think that movie is starting to get really etched into stone a bit with the way people are talking. Um, so I think Nomadland is going to win Best Picture, even though it wouldn't be my selection. I think I agree with you on that. Probably going to end up being the Best Picture pick. Like, I wouldn't go that way personally. I think it's one of the teasers where, like, Frances McDormand's performance is better than the whole movie. I think where she yes. sort of carries the movie. And I think she should be more in contention for the Best Actress spot. But I think just based on the reviews and 
I think Chloe Zhao's direction is good. I think that's going to yeah. end up getting up the top. I think the best part of No Man Land, besides Francis McDormand's performance, is the editing. They're able to to shift between different settings and time frames, and it's all so fluid. There months go by, and they seamlessly put it into the dialogue of the movie, where it's not like jolting you, being like, "Hey, this much time has passed," or "This person's here now." So I think the film editing, which is incredible in in No Man Land, and a lot of that has to do with Chloe Zhao's direction and making everything fluid for the post production process. Uh, so again, No Man Land is really good. It'd be middle of my tier in terms of movies that should win Best Picture, but I think it's really rushed in there. And I agree with you though; it's a movie based around a performance rather than a movie as a whole. Yeah, I think if I based on the ones I've seen, I will again prizes. I've not seen all of them. I've not seen all the Best Picture nominees. Like of the ones I would give it to, I probably give it to Sound of Metal. That would be my personal preference. Okay, why did you enjoy Sound of Metal so much? I just think the the out-of-the-box style they did this story in, I thought was very good. I mean, the use of sound itself was very creative. I, I felt, I compared out the character. I like the choices the story made as well, where, like, at the end of the movie, he does not get rewarded for coming to realization. You don't see him in a typical movie, like, that most people like, oh, he goes back to the community, and he integrates himself. No, he just sits on a bench. He reflects on the decisions he's made. He, there's no, like, happy ending. He starts there and sort of reflects on it. Gives it sends a good message. Yeah, I, I do agree that the ending is profound. Riz Ahmed is, is great in it. Um, and it was one of those weird things. It's a movie where it hurts to watch the character make a decision that they think is best for them, and which might be in the long run, but within the context of the story, it hurts so much to see him make that decision because he hurts other people around him. And he doesn't kind of know it and doesn't realize it, right? When he gets when he makes a decision to get his hearing fixed, it's like, oh, why are you doing that? No, you're you're finding yourself in this moment and you think you're missing something, but you're not. Uh, so again, a really good movie. I think the movie was a little bit too long for me, like 20 minutes too long. I think it stretched out a little bit. And I didn't love I didn't love the I didn't love him going to find his ex-girlfriend uh, or his girlfriend. I didn't love that whole entire ending sequence. I like the ending scene of him sitting on the bench and with the silence around him, surrounding him. I like that. But the last 20 minutes of him going back, trying to reestablish his love, getting in the crowd, getting confused with all the noise. That one didn't land for me as much as I'd like it to. Yeah, I get the idea behind it. I could see your point is that maybe the execution didn't happen. Yeah, again, I again, very good movie. Really enjoyed it. Riz Ahmed, again, great. But again, I think it's a movie based around a performance than a movie as a whole. Granted, though, this is I think believe it's up for original screenplay as well as Rico Down. And it is a fantastic original screenplay idea or to to get this to get this done. Yeah, go ahead, best director next. Do you think this is Chloe Shouse to lose? Yes, close out or lose, hands down, Mike. This is the easiest pick in the biz. We can move on to the next category. This is one if you have your money, bet it on this, and we're good. Yeah, whatever the outline is, bet it. You'll get your money. Yeah, I mean, I for me, like, I think she's going to win, and she's very, very deserving of winning. Um, I would really like to see David Fincher win for Mank because of the homage he gave to the old cinema uh, and making that witty screenplay work and click so fast where you didn't feel like two hours had passed by going with the old black and white and so many homages to, to Citizen Kane itself. I think it's really talented what he did. But again, this is Chloe Zhao's to lose, like hands down. Yeah, I think honestly the bigger one, I know there's some heavy hitters in this category as well because again, I haven't seen The Father, I haven't seen Anthony Hopkins yet. But I think best actor, I think this is post homulus uh, Chadwick Boseman's, I think going to run away with this. I would agree, and obviously there's the sad aspect of this, right? But uh, I think Chad McBoseman should win regardless of if, of his passing. I think his performance is incredible. I have a reason for thinking this, Mike, but I'm curious what you what you love so much about his performance. I mean, like, 
I've seen Chadwick Boseman in a lot of different things. I see him be Jackie Robinson. I see him be Black Panther. I see him pop up in several other movies. And like the like the commitment he gives to that character, like the heartbreak you can tell when he's when he at the end when he's trying to sell his songs and he knows that like he's been basically screwed and he just loses his mind, ends up killing the other band member, and you see like the just torture on his face. Like that was a really strong performance. Yeah, I again I think it was phenomenal. I loved seeing him not be an angel. I yeah. loved seeing him be a character with flaws that had anger and that had personality because Chadwick Boseman, great guy, great story, unbelievable. But if you look at a lot of his movie roles, he's the angelic figure. He's the god. He's the thing that people look up to. But in this movie, he was flawed, and I loved that because it was such a different perspective from what he's done before, and he did it so well. At the scene of him going into the, the closet where the walls are all around him, he, he's trying to break down the door. He's trying to get in there. But however, the walls are still there when he breaks down the door and he's dug himself so deep a hole and the camera pans up to see him basically at the bottom of a chimney. And he's just down there stuck at the bottom trapped, even when he's trying to break through all the barriers, such fantastic storytelling that he was a part of again. And then his performance just puts it over the top. Yeah. I think that's a no brainer to me. It's good to best actor. I feel like this one's interesting. This one is absolutely loaded. I will say I have not seen Andrew Ray in the United States first Billy Holiday. I believe it's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yes, it is. So I need to check that one out. But for me, this one is absolutely loaded because Viola Davis, Mike, Maureen's Black Bottom, she transforms. Like, you don't recognize it's her. She's just yelling. She wants a Coke and you better get her a Coke because otherwise she's going <laughs> to bite your finger off. Uh because, I mean, with that character, like Ma Rainey knows the power she has and she's fighting the system in her own way. And it's different from the way Chadwick Boseman's doing it. They're trying to go about the same thing and get their goal, but they're doing it in two different tactics. Um, but for me, I would pick Vanessa Kirby from Pieces of a Woman because, again, I think that that movie rips out your soul. And Vanessa, Kir Vanessa Kirby, I've never seen her act like this before. I've only known her from action movies. And she just completely transforms Everything is so real. And again, that first opening 20 minutes, Mike, it's some, it's incredible. Uh, so she'll be my pick, but I think it's going to be Frances McDormand. And I don't think they're going to do Carrie Mulligan because Promising Young Woman is a very controversial movie. And while she was very good in it, I think people are confused about her character development in that movie. And I think it's a fair criticism. So I, I, I would go Vanessa Kirby, but I think Frances McDormand is going to win. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of interesting picks in here. I feel like you could like this is what I would stay away from. You're trying to place a bet on this because like there's like they can go four different ways, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. They can go four different ways. I think I, I think the only one that really doesn't have a shot, and that's all, and I just haven't seen the movie yet. But the one I've heard the least conversation about is Andrea Ray, and with the United States versus Billy Holiday, that's the only one where I haven't seen people stoking the fire for for she to be a winner. Yeah, I, it's got the best supporting actor. I feel like for me, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of buzz around Sasha Baron Cohen's performance in the Trial of the Chicago Seven. What about what do you think? I don't think he was that great in that movie. Yeah. That's my take. Yeah. So who are you? Maybe going that's with? a hot take. I don't know. I, I preferred Mark Rylance's character in the Trial of the Chicago Seven. I thought he was a better performance and character than Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. So what do you think they're gonna do? Uh I think they're gonna go Daniel Kluwe uh, from Juice and the Black Messiah. Uh, that whole movie centers around him and the calm charisma that he has amongst the chaos of the entire movie and the speeches he gives when he's rallying up the black Panthers. I mean, you just, if you're watching on the couch, you want to get up and cheer as well. Uh, so for me, I think he'd be the one to win. Uh, again, the Keith Stanfield is really good in the movie, but I, I think this is the wrong category for him. I think he should have been in best actor. Uh, 
And Leslie Odom Jr. was the best part of one night in Miami. There's absolutely no doubt there. That guy's going to have a massive career. He got famous for Hamilton. Now he's moving on to the movies. And I think he really benefited from one night in Miami being adaption of a stage play. And he was able to perform like he's used to. Uh, but uh, Daniel Kaluuya, I think, is is the runaway winner here. Okay, let's go. Best supporting actress. Best supporting actress. I think this is the weakest category of the bunch. Personally, this is just me. And I think this is Amanda Seyfried's to lose. Uh, I think she was excellent in Mank. Uh, not in the movie for a long time, but whenever she is, she fits directly into that 1920s, 1930s vibe. It's perfect. Her charisma with Gary Oldman is fantastic. Uh, so I would do Amanda Seyfried, and I think this is the weakest category, highlighted by the fact that Glenn Close is in it for Hillbilly LG, which was a fine movie. It was good. It tried to be Oscar bait. The movie was didn't didn't reach that level, and I think this is just a courtesy nomination for Glenn Close, and they tried to make a push for her to win the award, but I think this is the weakest category of the ones we're going over today. Yeah, I mean, I watched Mank. Amanda Seyfried was probably the best of the bunch that I've seen so far, but like you said, like not an inspiring list. No, not not an inspiring list. Which I mean, not every not every category, excuse me, can be can be inspiring. So, I, but I think this is a man of state priest to lose. All right, well, best screenplay. I feel like this this could be interesting plays. Obviously, you got Aaron Sorkin lurking in there for Chicago Seven, and you got some other big hitters there. Yeah, it, yeah, it, there's big hitters for sure. So, I mean, you look at best original screenplay, which is Aaron Sorkin, Charlie Chicago Seven. Everything he writes is frankly gold for the most part. So he's going to be good. But a best original screenplay, we got Juice and the Black Messiah, incredible movie. Minari, one I haven't seen yet, but everyone it's tied for the most nominations with six. Promising Young Woman, which is the most adventurous, uh, risky, and brave screenplay of the entire bunch. Once you see that movie, you'll understand why. And The Sound of Metal, which we talked about, was a great original idea. And for that to come to life and give someone give money to make that movie happen is really, frankly, it's a great sign that stories like that can be made. I think here, here's my bold pick, Mike. I think Promising Young Woman wins this award, and I think it should because the guts to write that screenplay and to make it into a movie that is as controversial and as talked about as it is, I think that is going to be the big surprise of the night come April 25th. Yeah, I think, I just have a feeling with this category, I think this is going to end up going Minari's way because I feel like there are some voters who are going to say, this is a very good movie. We haven't given it an award in the big category. Let's give That's it the best screenplay. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's actually a great point. I haven't really thought of that. Um, I, I haven't really thought of that, but that, that's a great point by you. Because I feel like they're going to try and get an award somewhere. I feel like there are places you can give sound and metal recognition. I don't think there's, it's probably the categories that Minari is nominated. And I think they wanted to get at least one. So I think that would be yeah. where it comes in. I think we could say that sound and metal, I, I think the sound direction. So but for best sound, I think sound and metal is a front runner from every movie I've seen yeah. this year. So that'll be the award winner for sound and metal, but I haven't seen Minaria, so I can't comment on it. I am almost positive. I'm going to like it, whether or not I'm going to like it as the movies I love so much that are nominated here. I don't know, but it's a great call by you that it does need to be recognized somewhere. Yeah. And we said that Chloe Zhao as best director was going to be the lock of the thing. I think if you can get any action on the best sound, the sound and metal is going to run to the, to the bank with that one. Yeah, I think I, I may have misspoke earlier when I said it was a movie centered around a performance in Reza Ahmed. It might be centered around the post-production and the audio editing to, between everything that he does on the screen and then behind the scenes, him acting through that through that pain and going deaf and stuff like that. And then to make the, the to make the audio journey as powerful as it is, it reminds me a lot of how The Quiet Place, the silence was a character and you felt that silence. The constant static and screeching and underwater sound that goes through the sound of metal is a character in itself because you're scratching your ears because you don't want to hear it, but it's making you connect more with the character in the movie because that's what he's going through. 
Yeah, because 90, 99% of the audience watching is not going to be able to relate to the experience of being deaf or losing your hearing. And they do a good job conveying what he's going through but through their sound editing. Yeah, I, again, when he was at the end of that movie, when he's walking through the party and his sound piece, is just it's just too overflowed and it's all staticky and he can't hear his girlfriend sing the way he wants to. It, it hit me. It was like, I was like, oh, all right, I see what they're doing here. And again, it was the audio that really made that work. Yeah, I think that was a good call. And the other one, you if you, had, you said you haven't seen Soul. It seems like it's a very strong pick to win the best animated feature. I still highly recommend that one to you. It's on Disney Plus, And, like, it's still, I think, one of the best, like, Pixar pieces I've seen in years. Yeah, this is one I just need to watch and I just haven't gotten to it yet. I need to be in a mood to cry because I guarantee you I'm going to cry. Oh, you will. So I should have watched I should have watched this right after I watched Pieces of a Woman because I could have just cried for four straight hours and it would have been fine. <laughs> I would have got it done all in one sitting. But now I have to schedule out time where I could buy some tissues and, and immerse myself into it. Yeah, so here's my advice for you on when to watch Soul. The next time that like either the Red Sox or the Celtics have a very, have like a brutal heartbreaking loss, then throw it on there for two hours afterwards, extend the crying. Oh, there we go. Sorry. You know what? Uh, the Celtics are playing the Lakers tonight. If the Celtics lose to the understaffed Lakers, then I may be, I may be putting on soul to also just wallow in my pity. So there you go. That might exactly happen. Yeah. So that's the strategy there. These are, I think that's our good Oscar breakdown, but I want to get tell you a couple other, like a couple other things here, which is, I think you and I talked off the air. You watched the Snyder cut. I watched the Snyder cut. I did a podcast on the Snyder cut a couple weeks back, did a deep dive on it, but you were the movie guy. So what'd you think of the, the Snyder cut, the movie? my straight opinion, Mike, is I finished it and I was like, this movie is better than it has any right to be. Like four hours, you think it's going to be a slog and I'll be fair, I watched it in three different sittings because between doing work stuff and I just couldn't sit for four hours and do it. I believe you watched it in two, you said. Yeah. But I was thoroughly impressed, thoroughly entertained. Uh, And it was, it reminded me a lot of Watchmen, which was very long, but again, I was entertained throughout it and I enjoyed Watchmen better than most. And this movie is better than it has any right to be. The worst part of the movie is the epilogue. Get rid of that shit. And the movie's (laughs) great. And and, and like the movie is good. I gave it a B. Again, this movie is better than a lot of the comic movies I've seen recently. It was much more self-aware. Steppenwolf was actually fleshed out as a villain, but a sub-villain, if you will. Uh, They kind of made him more human, but also kind of fleshed him out and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think the CGI was maybe a little iffy at times because they wanted to get it done. But they fleshed out the characters they needed to. The action looked really, really, really good. Uh, and they didn't dwell too much on the melodrama uh, that was that plagued the first one. They made it more fun just because they piped up more action to it. And they fleshed out the characters in, in a very positive way. Yeah, I think the epilogue is probably the worst part of this thing because it makes no sense. And- Sucks. Why yeah. the f- why I want to curse so bad? Why there's there was no reason for it. It was there strictly just to get people to watch all the way to the end. And then they realized, oh wait, they never showed the Joker, but they showed the teaser, and that's just in the epilogue. It was terrible. It was awful. Good God, Garrett, Jared Leto, you got to figure yourself out, man. You can't just be begging to be the Joker and then just be dropping lines that make absolutely no sense, like zero. Yeah, we have we actually have the audio of John Stanko watching the epilogue of this thing right now. Just on, yeah, that's exactly that's just, exactly what it was. It was yeah. just there was absolutely no reason for it, and like the like the the red the red Martian or whatever like that at the end too was just very very on the nose. I was like, all right, come on, like I know you're Zack Snyder, I know you like to do the slow mo. You could if he you took out all the slow mo in his movies, you can cut a half hour off of all of them. <laughs> but that he just he went a little bit too extra, but that's because he knew he could with HBO Max. So and I give credit to HBO Max for making this for letting him make this movie, and I give credit to Snyder because I'll be honest, his Snyder cut it was better. 
There's yeah. no denying that it was better than the, than the original theatrical cut. And I think that's going to give a lot of freedom to directors to go to these streaming services when they know, hey, we're going to let you make your vision. Here it is. You can have this money to do it. Uh, and I'm sure that Zack Snyder's new uh, zombie movie on Netflix is going to follow the same suit where he just made the movie he wanted and they didn't let it, they didn't touch it. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. I mean, two things that also stuck out here. You mentioned number one, the Steppenwolf thing. He does, is a lot better because the way they used him in this movie was very reminiscent of how they use Loki in the Avengers, sort of like where he's just the bad guy, but he's reporting for somebody else and somebody else is off screen for most of the, most of the movie, but you know he's there. I think that was a more effective use of him than him sort of being the lone wolf and sort of trying to do this on his own. Yeah, it was great. And I think it also, it raised the stakes for the movie because Stephen Wolf wasn't the big bad. And I think it made the danger that they were facing more real because there's like, oh, you don't just don't need to defeat this one bad guy, which he's a tough guy, but it's just one layer to it. There were multiple layers to the danger that the Justice League was trying to fight. And so I, I think I think it did a really good job. I was very thoroughly entertained, and I think the biggest part me and you talked about was Cyborg actually got a story, which was great. Uh, he didn't have one in the original, and they, at least they they flushed him out a little bit, and he had some of the better scenes in the movie. Yeah, like I like I came out of saying I want to see Cyborg in the movie. It won't happen because Ray Fisher basically broke up with DC over behind the scenes shenanigans and all the stupidity they were doing behind the scenes there. But it also shows you that DC. I don't trust them making the movies because this movie got screwed because they wanted it to be under two hours. And my friend Nick Fry was on the podcast point out when you watch the original cut of Justice League with the credits done, it comes in exactly two hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. So they were just doing too much and they rushed into the theaters because they didn't give these guys their solo movies. And that's stuff that, again, you take out having to explain Cyborg's backstory, Flash's backstory, uh, Aquaman's backstory at that point and cut the epilogue. You probably get this about like three three fifteen. Yeah, I think you do. I think I think DC movies are taking a bit of a hit because Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four stunk, just yep. a terrible movie. And then this movie comes out, and this is what the vision that Zack Snyder wanted. And DC sees that the version that they put out is just not nearly as good as the one that Zack Snyder wanted. So DC movies needs to pick it up. I'm not sure if they're going to or what they're going to do. But with that being said, the new version of Batman coming out, the trailer was fantastic. Hopefully that that one worked. But DC movies is taking a hit. Yeah, it really has. And I mean, I think I've watched a lot of stuff this year. Like I watched WandaVision. I know you haven't. I've watched like like basically all the Marvel stuff. I watched a bunch of movies. I think the other big movie news I want to get your take on before we go is what do you think about Knives Out? The sequel's going to Netflix. Listen, I love Knives Out. Love it. I actually literally, I'm not even kidding you, Mike, today, I had a friend text me going, any movie recommendations for me and my wife? And I says, have you seen Knives Out yet? He was like, no. I was like, great, there's your movie. I literally had this conversation today. Yeah. So I love it. I The fact it's going to Netflix doesn't bother me at all. Great, I'll see it faster. I don't care. More people are going to see the movie. And as long as they, if they can create the same kind of fun atmosphere, I don't care where, where it goes. Yeah. I don't. And I, I believe Daniel Craig is coming back, reprising his role which he was absolutely charming as hell in the first one. So I think it's going to be great. I'm really curious to see the cast that they're going to bring in because the first one had everybody, like <laughs> every single person was recognizable. So I'm really curious to see how they'll do it again. I, I'm very excited for it. And I think Knives Out got snubbed for some awards in the year that it came out. I think that now people appreciate that movie more. It's going to get on Netflix, going to get more buzz. And you know Netflix, if the movie's as good as the first one, it's going to throw all the money behind it to get the award recognition. So – I am very, very excited for it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, Knives Out gave us Chris Evans in a turtleneck, which we didn't know we needed until we saw that movie. Exactly, right? It gave us, yeah, it also, yeah. So 
Agreed. Uh, I'm really curious the setting that they're going to put it in. I think I loved the the Northeast late fall, early winter vibe of the first one. I'm where do you think they're going to put the setting for this one? Where are they going to throw Daniel Craig and where are they going to where are they going to throw him in terms of like the world? I would say Europe. You're going to throw him in Europe. Okay. You know what? Just put it in the castle. Yeah. Make it just make it a royalty thing. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to do something like that and have like some sort of some sort of like either like British or French manner where you're like investigating like a murder or something. Just yeah, like, I could see that. I could see that. I think yeah, I would like that. I would like that quite a bit. Or I see like a, I see like a, a Greek thing, a kind of like Greek island with like a nice house on the beach or whatever, and and the chaos surrounding that. Though, though, but I like the Europe thing too. I like that. Yeah, I think it's fun. I saw the two conditions they have is there's was basically Ryan Johnson gets complete creative control, which I think is a, is a big win. They said the only string is Daniel Craig has to be in it, and I'm like, you, you understand perfectly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's that's what we need, right? Yeah. I think a really fun project would be casting that movie from a fan's perspective characters like what actor and actress do you want playing what type of characters and just we don't need to we don't need to figure out the mystery or anything like that but just figure out like eight actors and actresses throw them into various roles and be like this is how they're going to work together i don't know how it comes to a conclusion but ryan johnson figure this out so and netflix is going to shell out the money to get any any cast that he wants as long as he has full creative control so that's a fun project, though, that we could work on. Like that one, that one intrigues me. I would, I would be curious to to take, like, say, for example, like the Murder on the Orient Express cast. Get some of them and put them in the Ryan Johnson story. I see what because that was a very good cast. I just did not like the direction of the movie. I think you give them Ryan Johnson, I think they could be fun. I I immediately think of Christoph Waltz yeah. in one of these movies and his quirkiness working against Daniel Craig's character. I that's the first person that I think of that I would throw in this movie. You know who I just thought of who I think would be fantastic in this movie? Who's that? Tom Hiddleston. You're right. Yeah, he would be a good one. Yeah. Tall, yeah, tall, lanky, throw him in a yeah, throw him in a turtleneck for sure. Let He's him, got the wit and the banter to make it work. Yeah, because I, I mean we need to get him in something other than Loki for a little bit. Well, that new Loki trailer dropped. I think he's in the Marvel Universe for as long as he wants. So Yeah, yeah that, that show's got a second season even before the first one came out. That's one of the only yeah. ones it had so far. So like they're committed to Hiddleston as long as he wants to stay. Yeah, so I, I I think so. So I need to catch up on the Marvel stuff. I'm just gonna be honest. My motivation to watch all of it is is not very high. I think um, I think you will enjoy WandaVision more than Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That's my personal opinion. I've heard Falcon and the Winter Soldier is very much just like a Marvel movie. It does not take any risks. It is very much just kind of it's an action movie with characters that you enjoy. Um, WandaVision, I think I will like and enjoy, but I again I just don't like Vision as a character and they ruined Scarlet Witch for me so trying to get behind two characters I didn't like in the movies is tough it's a tough uh, tough road for me to hoe to get back in yeah WandaVision is a lot more fun I think Falcon Winter Soldier I think now I've seen four episodes it feels more like some one of the Marvel Netflix properties to be honest with me well to be fair I like some of those I yeah. lo- Daredevil seasons one and three were good I love Jessica Jones um Luke Cage I was fine with we don't need to talk about Iron Fist but I enjoy the defenders. <laughs> Um. Yeah, so I mean, I think it depends. I think Daredevil seasons one and three were excellent, and Jessica Jones season one is one of my favorite comic book properties in general. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not that's not a bad side. I'm gonna watch it eventually. It's just when I can convince my girlfriend to watch Sebastian Stan. That's when I'll turn on Captain America: Winter Soldier. Yeah, that's a good that's a good place to start, John. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow me on social media? What's some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at jstanko99, or just search my name. I'm up there. And then uh, getting back into the writing, uh, stankosstance.wordpress.com. Also, you could follow just 
my movie things on Letterboxd as well. I've got all my movies up there, grades, reviews, everything like that. So that's where you can follow me and my, all my movie takes. Yeah, I, I also saw you did a full rewatch of Clone Wars. I did. Clone Wars was very, very good. That last season was excellent. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. They know how to end the series. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I need to watch Rebels still. Um, I'm really, I'm waiting for Disney plus to put out the release dates for the star Wars TV shows. And then I'll really get cracking on catching up, but I plan on watching rebels. Um, there's, I don't think I need to watch rebels to get into bad batch. No, you do not. Coming up soon. You do not. So it comes before rebels, bad batch. Yeah. Rebels is the next on my list. It's whenever I have, oh, whenever I just want to start a new show by myself. Um, but clone wars was superb. Yeah, right now I'm I'm doing a long lengthy rewatch of like Clone Wars on the podcast here. I have our buddy Pete Casador and Nick Fred and I are going back and we're watching seasons right now. So right now we're watching season four right now. Get ready to talk about season four next month. Yeah, I mean it's it's excellent, and some of the lightsaber duels in that show are better than anything in the in the live action shows. Now, granted, you have more freedom with the animation and stuff like that, but like the the duel between Emperor Palpatine, Darth Maul, and Savage was. My, my jaw hit the floor. That yeah. was incredible. Yeah, I have not gotten there yet. I'm looking forward to that one. But right now, I just finished the arc on Umbara. That's where I am in the show right now. Okay. So wait, have you met Savage yet? Yeah, we have met Savage. Okay. Savage right. is season I, I, three. I, I, He's season okay. three. We've met him. And we haven't okay. we haven't gotten to him fighting Darth Maul yet. Well, I'm sorry if I spoiled that for you. I mean, I, I know, know what happened. I know what happens. I haven't seen it. Okay. All right. So, yeah. But, uh, it, I mean, it's very, very good. It's the last three seasons are genuinely excellent. And the last season is just a movie. It's yes. just a straight up movie. Hey, when we do season seven, you want to come join us on, on, we talk about that. You're welcome to join us. I'll be more than happy to. And I mean, I'll be more than happy to, cause I'll just praise Dave Filoni for creating the best star Wars things I've seen in years. All right. John. Between the last season of clone wars and then, and then the Mandalorian all praise Dave Filoni. All praise Dave Filoni. John, thanks again. Thank you, Mike. All right, and there you have it. I want to thank our guest today, Jerry Foley from Giants Insider, t- talking all about the Giant offseason, getting them ready for the draft. I also want to thank John Stanko, who just did our Oscar preview in the pop culture segment. A lot of fun talking with Stanko about movies all the time. Always a good chat with John. If you want more stuff like this podcast, clearly I look at the Knicks' path of the postseason, and as of right now, they are in a position where they really should make at least a play-in. I'll break it down. Check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all your usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to get your feedback and star ratings as well. They help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube, for individual conversation on the episode. You can find our chats with Jerry and John Stanko up on the YouTube page. You can also follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that'll do it for this week's podcast. Coming out next week, we're going to have our NFL draft preview. We're going to talk about the locals of Daryl Slater. We'll do a mock draft and more. So then have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.